0: The potential cause and effect between sleep disorders and bipolar disorder is a hot topic. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, your host, and with me today is Dr. Christina Demopoulos, who recently relocated to the West Coast from the Bipolar Research Program at Massachusetts General Hospital. She now works with Dr. David Dunner at the Center for Anxiety and Depression in Mercer Island, Washington. Dr. Demopoulos has extensive experience in treating bipolar patients in both research and clinical practice.
1: Welcome. Thank you, Leslie.
0: So, Dr. Demopoulos, tell us about your experience in the area of sleep disorders and bipolar illness.
1: Well, my experience in, in sleep and bipolar illness has been a long and consistent road because any bipolar treater will tell you that sleep restoration is critical to mood stabilization. And I think that with that comment, just through my clinical practice and treating a large number of patients with rapid cycling bipolar disorder, you you can't help but look beyond the questions of insomnia or early morning awakening, difficulty falling asleep, waking up in the middle of the night. So I I really started to take an interest in in informal sleep disorders because I had some rapid cyclers uh, who just didn't get better. And I'll give you an example. I had a patient who was on four treatments for his rapid cycling, and that's not uncommon. Actually, when you look at the data of our large naturalistic study at um, Mass General, the STEP-BD program, uh, the average number of medications at presentation to the program was about 4.5. Wow, four and a
0: half average.
1: Exactly. Now, we may be a kind of a, a more uh, a tertiary treatment center in some ways, so, but still, but still, and certainly with rapid cycling, that is more commonly the case. Now, with this gentleman that I treated, he, he just didn't seem to get better in terms of his uh, cycling and we really went through systematically comorbid illnesses that can obviously complicate course. Substance abuse being a big one, anxiety disorders also quite common in bipolar disorder. Those two, lifetime prevalence, uh, 45%. Uh, so I started to, to look at the sleep issue. Most rapid cyclers will cycle in and out of, they'll have rapid cycling in and out of their long-term course for a year or two. If people have continued cycling beyond two years, three years, it really behooves clinicians to go back and look again at medical reasons, other reasons as to why they could be cycling. And in this instance, this person's anxiety disorder was under fair control, substances was not an issue, and sleep continued to be a problem. So we actually looked at getting this patient a sleep study. And in doing that, It was remarkable to find that he had significant apnea, multiple awakenings in the night, lived alone. No one ever witnessed uh, his hypopnic episodes, apneic episodes. Uh, And once he was fitted with CPAP, his medication regimen was reduced from four medications to one. Wow. With a remission in cycling. So that was a very compelling story. And based on that, really began I began to be more vigilant about looking for formal sleep disorders.
0: So what I'm hearing you say is somebody who doesn't respond as well as we might think they should, we need to start looking at sleep disorders among other things like substance abuse.
1: That's right. Absolutely. I mean, we do talk about comorbidities and bipolar disorder and many of those being kind of anxiety eating disorder, substance abuse. But you know, formal sleep disorders should, be, should also be their arousal disorders. Ohioan actually published data back in 97 in the Journal of Clinical Psychiatry looking at the odds ratio, meaning the risk, by mental disorder relative to the general population of arousal disorders. And guess, guess which subpopulation had the highest risk of an arousal disorder? Bipolar disorder. Bipolar disorder. 13 to 1.
0: 13 to 1.
1: That's right. So that really behooves us to ask not just about, you know, the difficulty falling asleep, waking up in the middle of the night, early morning awakening, but actual formal sleep symptoms. So narcoleptic symptoms, uh, symptoms of apnea, which would probably be most common, um, sonambulism, sleep eating, all of these disorders can certainly occur and clearly disrupt the quality of sleep and continue to promote uh, cycling or uh, mood episodes.
0: Yeah, you know, it's, it's one of my uh, my sort of pet peeves in medicine as well. And what I always ask my colleagues is, what percentage of the sleep studies that you order come back positive for obstructive sleep apnea? Uh, what would you say? <laughs> Put oh, you on the spot.
1: I I... For- for sleep at well, overall, we know prevalences uh, can be what five, uh, five to ten percent, but in some studies, much higher. So, I would venture to say, in a general clinical population at least a quarter, probably much higher.
0: Most physicians say nearly every sleep study I order comes back positive. Has something. At, yeah. You know, 90%. And I say, okay, well, what other tests are you that good at? You know, I don't order nine, a test that comes back 90% positive for anything, whether it's thyroid illness, blood sugar, whatever. So, yeah, I think what, what that means to me is that there's a whole bunch of people we're missing. We're sending the obvious ones that, of course, are going to be positive, but the that our index of suspicion, I think, needs to, to we really need to examine that much more closely.
1: That's true. And I, mean, I, I hear what you're saying in terms of the sensitivity being very high. I mean, this is right, including not, not just the classic meeting criteria for apnea, for example, but, you know, hypopnea is any kind of sleep disruption, uh, restless leg syndrome. Uh, yes, we should be asking about it. Uh, particularly when you look in the bipolar realm, it has, it has such an, a huge direct impact on course? And to be frustrated by working with multiple psychotropics and really feeling like you're not getting anywhere and missing something that is biologic, um, at a, a biologic in, in terms of kind of neurologic, medical, like a sleep disorder, yeah, it's, it's, it's critical. And actually, because I was seeing so many people come back from a polysomnography with positive findings that I really uh, began to ask among all of my patients and decided to actually do a study looking at this. I was wondering whether there would be a prevalence of formal sleep disorders, a greater prevalence in bipolar patients with cycling versus without rapid cycling. And amazingly, the demographics actually were fairly similar between both groups, even thyroid disease, which can often complicate or uh, the course of um, apnea, can increase the risk of apnea. And even uh, body mass index, because a lot of people are saying, well, you know, bipolar patients are really heavy uh, due to medication, psychotropic medication, they can gain weight. And so related to that, they may have some obstructive apneic symptoms. And indeed, that may be the case. But in this group, uh, mean body mass index scores were actually on the... Uh, modest side in terms of overweight. When we looked at this data, we really didn't find a difference you know, between the bipolars uh, with and without rapid cycling in terms of prevalence. I would have predicted that rapid cyclers probably have a greater prevalence of sleep disorders. However, as you had alluded to, rightfully so, I think I really gave an underestimate in terms of what docs would come back with in terms of uh, percent of folks with sleep disorders. Uh, in this study, we had half of the patients come back with apnea, uh, 25% with a hypopneic syndrome, and then about 17% with uh, parasomnias and narcolepsy. Combine those. Really, only one person came back with a mild question of uh, snoring versus hypopnea syndrome. So... So again, the predominance of apnea, parasomnia, the arousal disorders uh, in this population was quite astounding, but not uncommon to what I was seeing in terms of asking the basic questions and, and getting responses that were highly suspicious of formal sleep disorders. So.
0: Folks may be interested, actually, on in my website, com, we have a, a simple screening tool that we actually give all of our patients uh, just the basic sleep sort of questions. If you want to use a paper sort of instrument, it might be worth our listeners checking that out. Now, when it comes to treatment, of course, uh, probably most of us would say the treatment of choice for obstructive sleep apnea these days is CPAP, but often CPAP, in our experience, is inadequate In terms of uh, treating the patient's excessive daytime sleepiness, Um, what other techniques do you use in these patients?
1: Uh, Certainly. From the CPAP standpoint, just to kind of back up, you know, there are, and patients should be aware of this, and I think most sleep doctors would would educate their patients about this. One of the hardest things, I think, with CPAP is, particularly, for example, in bipolar patients who may have uh, a history of post-traumatic stress disorder or a lot of anxiety disorders, would be uh, wearing the mask and feeling really claustrophobic and very anxious and um, knocking the mask off in the middle of the night or even having difficulties initiating CPAP use. So there are alternatives such as nasal pillow devices that just are kind of cannulas under the nose and oral dental devices. So those are something that you ethnic patients out there should be asking your doctor about. But yes, even with CPAP and consistency CPAP use, uh, patients still complain of. Excessive sleepiness in the day, bipolar patients still complain, even though they may have some improvement, they may still complain of, of mood roughening or continued episodes. So, the goal really is to promote good mood hygiene in, in the bipolar realm. That means keeping people awake in the day, increasing their sleep drive, so they're feeling of being tired at the end of the day, and then hopefully that will engage them in a good night's sleep overnight. And now they'll be back on this normal circadian rhythm of sleep, and that in and of itself will help stabilize mood. So there are treatment modalities, and actually in the study that I mentioned earlier, as a second component to looking at the prevalence of formal sleep disorders in bipolar patients, we actually looked at the effects of modafinil on a subpopulation. So again, these were patients, uh, 52 bipolar 1 and 2 patients who were referred to the MGH Sleep Center, um, who had a suspicion of formal sleep disorder, came back with uh, diagnoses of Various arousal disorders, predominantly apnea, and on CPAP, but still had residual sleepiness and residual difficulties with mood. So both cyclers and non-rapid cyclers were initiated on modafinil, and that was a sample population, a small one, 15 patients that were stratified to receiving modafinil or or no modafinil, or I'm sorry, 15 patients who were rapid cycling or or non-rapid cycling. So it would be eight rapid cyclers and seven non-cyclers who received modafinil. And mean dosing there was about 180 milligrams. And people actually did very well. I mean, of that uh, population of 15 subjects, I really had only one patient who, who cycled and mild symptoms of jitteriness and anxiety in three other patients. But overall, the agent was well-tolerated, and it really helped, um, again, get uh, people back on track in terms of a normal sleep cycle.
0: Well, lots of food for thought there. I want to thank our guest, Dr. Christina Demopoulos. We've been discussing sleep disorders and bipolar illness. I am Dr. Leslie Lund. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, please send your emails to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for
1: listening.